Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, optimizing your presence in virtual meetings. I'm Melody Rawlings, Director of Cabo, and today I'm joined by Karen Reed. Karen is an Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist who has become an executive communications specialist. She is a coach and trainer with a proven methodology to help others harness the power of video communication. Today, our discussion will focus on Karen's new book, Suddenly Virtual, and the emerging trends we are seeing in virtual work. Welcome, Karen, and thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us. Melody, this is such a total pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Um, So in previous episodes, we've been talking about things unique to businesses and organizations operating remotely or entirely virtual. Now, more than a year out from the global shift to the virtual workplace, people have become more accustomed to video conferencing and Zoom and other platforms. But I still hear people say they would rather not turn on their camera or dread the virtual presentation. So this is a timely discussion, and I'm so glad that you're here to have it with us today. So, Karen, I know that as a broadcast journalist, you've got many years of experience in front of the camera, and I'm eager to get your perspective on emerging trends in video meetings and presentations. But to get us started, uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my career began in broadcast news. As you mentioned, I won an Emmy along the course of my career. I worked primarily for NBC and I interviewed luminaries like Muhammad Ali. Uh, But I left the business in 2004 to apply my skills in the corporate world. And what I found is that I would be brought in as the professional on-camera spokesperson, but more often they were bringing in people from the C-suite or the corner cubicle to come in and appear on camera alongside of me and expect them to perform at the same level of skill. That often did not work out so well because it requires a totally different skill set to talk to a camera versus to an audience that you can actually see. So I recognized a business opportunity to teach business people how to be better on-camera communicators. So that was how my company's Speaker Dynamics was born. Uh, And that was about a decade ago. And since that time, I wrote my first book, uh, On-Camera Coach, uh, which encapsulates the methodology of the MVPs of on-camera success. Uh, Wrote the second book that you mentioned. And, you know, those skills, those on-camera communication skills are more relevant today than ever. That's awesome. Um, and I know that I could certainly benefit from reading reading your all of your books, and I've enjoyed reading Suddenly Virtual. So that's just, that's just great um, and uh, information, very helpful. You know, I often see articles about emerging trends in virtual work, as well as articles about best practices and tips for virtual meetings and presentations, but I've never seen the two put together. So what are your thoughts on that? Has our approach to video meetings and presentations evolved from pre to post pandemic? Well, first of all, I would say, Melody, you can't uh, you know talk about virtual work and not talk about virtual meetings because virtual meetings really are at the heart of, of virtual work. Uh, but I will say there's also been an evolution uh, from March of 2020 to today. And the approach really continues to evolve. So at the beginning, when everybody was told to stay at home and we had that sudden shift to remote work, uh, people were kind of seeking just 
out any tools or techniques that that would work, uh, not necessarily what would work best. You know, there was this rapid adoption of video collaboration tools, uh, which was amazing for me to see because I've been teaching virtual communication for years. Uh, and usually I had to begin those workshops by trying to convince people of their value. Uh, but people got it. They, they knew they needed to create some way of connecting uh, on a deeper level than perhaps a phone call would, would be or an email. Uh, but they use these video collaboration tools without a whole lot of thought in terms of how to use them well. Uh, so there, there's some positive and there's some negative that's been associated with this. You know, positively, people recognize uh, that video meetings can work quite well. There was um, barely a blip in productivity. It was pretty much stable or even improved in some situations. But there were, were some negative consequences. You know, we, we've all heard about video call fatigue. Uh, but what I would say is it's not the platform's fault. It's not the technology's fault. It's more a product of the fact that we had this meeting explosion. We had more meetings than ever before, and those meetings were going longer. And because we were having all of these back-to-back -back meetings, it was exhausting people. Uh, so there is a reset that is happening right now where organizations are trying to develop policies that uh, can help to combat that, that video call fatigue. So, you know, you probably have heard about some organizations implementing the no meeting Mondays or, you know, there's a push to use it for the right purposes. So, you know, using video in meetings is essential if you want to have collaboration and dialogue. But if, say, a meeting is just for information sharing, you're just basically having a couple people talking at uh, a large group, that might not be a video meeting. That might be something where you record that presentation and then you send it out to the masses so that they can watch it on their own time. Because you can't just have a wall of meetings for your day and expect them to be able to execute any of the action items. Those are great points. And, uh, and something that just really comes to my mind is the, are the length of meetings as well. Um, I know that we just finished our Cabo Virtual Conference for 2021, and we intentionally kept the sessions to 45 minutes uh, uh, short because there's so many distractions as we, we all who you know work from home and who are still working from home, we know that there are many distractions in the home environment and allowing just the 45 minutes is more, you know, more concentrated, but also allowing 15 minutes to change sessions that really worked well for us. And I think the Zoom fatigue also can can so easily come into play, not only because, as you said, so many meetings back to back and throughout the day, but also the length of the meeting. So um, I also I totally agree that keeping them as you know, just as short as, as possible to cover what is needed to cover the information that needs to be discussed or presented um, is also a, a good way to reduce or mitigate uh, Zoom fatigue. So in your book that you indicated that remote meetings will likely be a part of the long-term impact uh, from the shift to, the, to working from home, and considering that many companies are having employees return to the physical workplace at least part of the time, uh, do you think remote meetings will still be part of the mix? Absolutely. I mean, they really have to be as we make this shift now. This is kind of the second grand meeting disruption over the past year and a half as we head into 
hybrid. Um, you know, virtual meetings will be the only way to connect the people who are continuing to stay remote with the people who are back in the office. There's no other way to have them communicate than to have some sort of virtual uh, meeting space. Uh, but it will be more challenging because you have a more complicated communication network. You know, whenever we were all in person, uh, that created one network uh, where we were all communicating in, in, the, in the same space. Uh, whenever we all went virtual, we were creating one network where we were all communicating in the same space on the screen. But whenever you introduce hybrid into the mix, you've got uh, a combination of people who are perhaps joining from a conference room where three people are located. And then you've got another conference room uh, joining from a different location. Then you've got five people who are popping up on their individual webcams. They're all a part of the same meeting and they all have to communicate with each other, but you have these multiple networks that you somehow have to weave together. So it's really critical that you have, for, for example, the right technology for those who are both in the office as well as for those who are joining remotely. But you also have to make sure that you train people on how to adjust to this new way of meeting. So you have to train meeting leaders on how to be effective facilitators of these sort of discussions. And you also have to raise the awareness of attendees uh, that they have to recognize everyone in the room, whether they are there physically or they are there virtually. So it really requires a very intentional approach at, up front. Uh, the organizations who will succeed with this hybrid work will, will put some good thought into it and, and actually train their folks and develop some policies around it. Those who just kind of wing it, I, I'd be concerned that there is going to be a, a dip in productivity and a loss of team co cohesion. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think as you hit on training is going to be so important. And I think that's one thing that was lacking uh, when there was that shift. There wasn't time for training because it was such a, a, a such a quick, sudden shift, you know, brought on by the pandemic. And so this needs to be very methodical. I think but there just needs to be training and, and how this is going, how the meetings are going to happen, how the communication is going to take place. So, so yeah, great, great. Um, information there. So I'm going to pivot a little bit here and something I mentioned before, and I think this resonates with me is one reason I'm, I'm, I want to kind of address this is why do you think some people do not like turning on their camera? I know that I've been guilty of this myself and I can understand some of the reasons, but I would like to get your perspective on that. Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, it's just one more thing I have to think about. And I'd rather not think about it. And, and I get that. But probably the more overwhelming uh, issue that I encounter is that people are hypercritical of their physical selves. So when you went into these video collaboration spaces for the first time, you were seeing yourself communicate in real time and seeing your image on the screen was uh, distracting and possibly disconcerting. And so a lot of people uh, really found that very difficult. And so they would monitor their own performance. Uh, and by simply watching yourself speak, you actually change who you are. So you start to take away from your authenticity. Uh, and, and that will come across to your audience as you come across as fake. Uh, but also, we see things that no one else sees. So I like to tell the story of an on-camera uh, communication training client who I was working with. She uh, had done a baseline presentation before we started working together. 
And then I always had people do a post-training video presentation. And I was watching her um, after training video. My back was to her. We were in person at this time. And she had come so far. I was really excited to see uh, the dramatic changes in how she was coming across. And so I'm watching the end of it. And I turned around to her and I said, what did you think? And she said, my right eyebrow is higher than my left eyebrow. I was like, what are you talking about? Nobody is noticing the height of your eyebrows. But she could only focus on that. So we see things that no one else sees. And, and that creates a real barrier to our communication effectiveness. Oh, that's a great story. And and I can relate to that. So so totally, totally resonates with me. And it reminds me of the old adage that we are we are our own worst critics. So, you know, what we, what we see, as you said, (laughs) other people aren't noticing at all. And sometimes I think uh, to myself, don't flatter yourself to think that other people are noticing that because they're, they've got distractions and things and going on either in their environment or just on their mind. And, and they're not really thinking about that. So, so great information. So what strategies or tips do you suggest to help, help, help us overcome that reluctance to turn on our camera? Well, the one thing that you can do is uh, leveraging one of the functionalities of, of many of the uh, platforms, in, and that's to hide your self-view. Uh, and if you go into Zoom, for example, if you hover over your box, uh, there will be three little dots that will pop up in the upper right-hand corner of your of your gallery view box. Uh, and if you click on those three dots, then there will be a menu that will pop up. And at the bottom, it will say hide self-view. If you click on hide self-view, then you disappear from the screen. <laughs> and then you resist the temptation of looking at yourself because it's no longer available. And so that, that's a great... Um, functionality that I think a lot of other uh, platforms will start to offer because it puts you in a more realistic conversation scenario. You know, we can't see ourselves talk to others. And, you know, it's not like we walk around with a mirror (laughs) held up to our faces. So you take um, that, you know, mirror effect away and it helps to restore some of of the typical communication you know, paradigm that you would have. Uh, the other thing that I would also uh, suggest is following the best practices for eye contact. So what I suggest is in order to speak with impact, you want to look at the camera. You do not want to be looking at the people that you see on your screen, even though we want to, because as humans, we seek out eye contact. And we do that in a virtual space sometimes incorrectly, because we're looking at the screen, we think we're looking them in the eye. But if you are on the other side, uh, it looks like you're not looking at them at all. And, And oftentimes, it looks like you're looking down if, for example, you're using the building webcam that's on your bezel of your laptop. So what I suggest is when you are speaking, you want to primarily be looking at the camera lens. That's going to feel to your audience like you are looking them in the eye. Now, that does not mean that you need to stare at the camera lens and not glance down at all. Uh, Whenever we are talking with people face to face, we often break eye contact. It's natural to do that. So you want to interact with the camera lens the way you would with a person's face, which means, yeah, you do. You look down, you look to the side, you look up as you're concentrating on your message. 
And that will give you an opportunity to kind of uh, glance down and see if somebody's nodding along or uh, see if somebody's perhaps checking their phone and then you need to like change your delivery accordingly. Uh, but if you follow that best practice for eye contact, it also helps to take um, the pressure off of yourself by looking at your own image on the screen too. Those are great tips. I love Hide Selfie. That would make such a difference. And I'm definitely going to remember that and use that. So thank you. And then also about looking into the uh, lens of the camera, uh, not staring, but but uh, looking into the lens as if you're looking at them. So great tips. Thank you. Um, I love that. And that segues well into my next question. And um, and I love that you included reflective exercises or checklists throughout the book that you call looking in the mirror. Um, and then a worksheet based on the adaptive improvement model or the AIM framework. So the AIM framework requires three key ideas to consider, and that's continue, stop, and start. So could you explain these ideas and how they help us maximize our virtual meeting experiences? Absolutely. So you know as well as I do, Melody, that bad habits are hard to break and they often have a strong gravitational pull. So even if you manage to break it initially, we tend to go back to doing what we did before. So the AIM framework really guides you in taking a close look at what you have done thus far. And then it gives you a way to assess what things you should continue doing, what you need to stop, and what you should start doing. So uh, if you'll allow me, I'll kind of take you through a hypothetical organizational situation. So for example, with the AIM framework, you would start by, okay, what should I continue doing? So maybe this organization has been using video in their meetings uh, and they use it for videos that are discussion-based and that's really the best way of doing it. So they wanna continue using video in their meetings. That's super. Now, what do they wanna stop? Well, they know that they've been using video in their meetings, but they've been using it too much because they're having back-to-back -back meetings with no recovery time in between, uh, which is leaving everyone exhausted. So the next step is to assess, okay, what should we start doing? Well, this organization decides that they're going to start creating pad between their meetings. So instead of a 30-minute meeting, they're going to make it a 25-minute meeting. Instead of having an hour-long meeting, they're going to make it a 50-minute meeting. So going through this framework in a very methodical way helps you to come up with some real action items that you can employ. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I, when I was reading the book, I thought I'm going to come back and I'm going to do this, um, do, do these activities. And uh, because I didn't have a chance when I was reading through the book the first time, but I'm going to do that because I can absolutely see how beneficial that would be. So, so thank you for including those and for sharing with us here how that works. So thanks so much for all the insightful and helpful information that you've shared. Um, are there any additional pieces of advice or bits of wisdom you could leave with us today to help us optimize our virtual meetings? Absolutely. And, and also, I want to thank you, Melody, for mentioning the checklists uh, and the framework, because you know we want this to be a practical guide. Uh, theory is great, and we have all sorts of, of science uh, behind what we are presenting, but we want people to be able to use this book as really a, a workbook uh, that can help them to get the most out of these virtual meetings. So um, I'll just leave people with this uh, bit of advice. When you're doing any virtual meeting or certainly any hybrid meeting, you've got to put the work in ahead of time. Uh, make sure you create an agenda and then send it out in advance. You want to get people invested in what is going to be covered. Uh, give people some pre-work. You know, maybe it's uh, assigning them a report to read ahead of time or, or simply asking them to put some think time uh, in on the topic at hand. Because what that does 
is it allows you to use the time in that video meeting for deep discussion uh, rather than a surface introduction of the facts. And I would just urge people, you mentioned it, I mentioned it, keep these video meetings uh, shorter and purpose-driven with a clear goal. And then make sure you have the right people in the room because large meetings in a virtual space with too many attendees uh, become unwieldy very quickly. Absolutely. Totally agree. And, and I'm all about the practical strategies and practical ways to you know, to maximize my virtual meetings. So as you said, theory is great, but uh, when it when the rubber meets the road, I want to know what practical strategies I can implement to really make a difference. Karen, thank you so much for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We so greatly appreciate your insights and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Thank you so much, Melody. It's been a real pleasure having uh, this conversation with you. Keep up the good work. Karen, if I might ask one more thing, would you share with listeners where they can purchase a copy of your book? You do not have to ask me twice on this one. You can get our book anywhere you buy books. So uh, you can log into Amazon. You can go into Barnes and Noble. If you put in suddenly virtual making remote meetings work, you will find it. And we'd love for people to pick up a copy. Awesome. Thanks so much. 